0: To take a moment to uh, say hello and good morning, and good morning to those of you who are watching us online on Facebook, YouTube, and our website. Uh, hit the share button, hit the like, notifications, subscriptions, all that stuff, okay? And you can use the comment section to participate as well. You are not off the hook, even though you may be in your pajamas, all right? Uh, let me get this going here. Omar, are we good? They're good over there at home? All right, I'm gonna give you a couple of announcements before we let the kids go. This coming Saturday morning, we will be running our back to school bash. So we've got a few volunteers who are in the room. I will be in touch with you and some of you are watching online. I will be in touch with you this week. But just remember, please be here at eight o'clock in the morning. Do not be late. You've got to be here at eight o'clock. It's an eight to noon shift. It's going to go by very quickly. We're expecting 200 people. 130 of them are kids who are going to get backpacks and uh, school supplies. And we've got the magician ready. We've got some other treats and surprises ready, but we need a little team to be here on time and be ready to serve and to work. It's so much fun. This is going to be a very, very multicultural Uh, event. There's many different religious groups that are going to be represented there as well. We're going to give a clear gospel presentation. It is really the the biggest outreach opportunity we have in the year. And so uh, thank you so much for for contributing to it. You can still do that if you take an envelope and just write on it, school or bash, we will be able to allocate it there. Uh, but it's going to be a great, great time, and uh, with the contact tracing, we have to pre-register everyone, so it's actually good. I'm communicating with the people in advance and trying to hype up the event. We're going to be in screen number eight, which is the biggest screen that they have here at Cineplex. will be a great time Saturday morning. Uh, the event will start at nine thirty now, those of you who attend our church you say well i don 't really know if I need backpacks for my kids, you know, but I really want to come because I just want to feel it and see what it 's like, and uh, you can definitely come. We will have space for you all right so the event will start at nine thirty we 're telling the crowd to uh, arrive as early as eight thirty so we can check them in at the door, but uh, I want you to see what you 're giving to as well uh, we we planted this church uh, with the idea of reaching the one who is far from God, so that together we would become passionate followers of Jesus, and this event uh, is part and parcel of that, okay? Uh, So that is uh, really the only announcement that we have for today. Do we have some kids in the room? Jenny, we do? We do. do? All right, so I'm going to ask the kids to be dismissed and follow Jenny Samuel, who is just in the front over here. You follow her. She's got a couple of volunteers who are going to help you as well. They'll be over in screen number 11. Parents, uh, all you have to do is let your kids go, but just don't forget to pick them up, okay, or they're going to get stuck in a movie over there in 11 when the show's over. That's a joke okay you 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 folks at home you see you don't have that luxury if you were being kind of an unchristian christian Christian, you could technically stay here when the church service is over and you know watch black widow or whatever but that would be an unchristian christian Christian. i can see i can hear them laughing on the other side of the camera Uh, by the way you were watching online if we do lose that camera i see the power is starting to go but if we do lose it you will see the slides on the screen are we good with slides omar Okay, good. I want to acknowledge as well, we've got a couple of Bible College professors in the room. Uh, One of them is Jerry Thomas, and he's here with his wife, Bridget, and I highlight this couple because this couple was on our original launch team five years ago when we launched this church. So they are here, just moved back here from the Maritime, so they are here, and also Jenny Samuel's brother, Josh Samuel, who's a, a teacher at Masters College Seminary in Peterborough, is here as well with his family. So I will be very careful, and uh, you know, if I make mistakes, I give them the liberty to say, no, 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 no you're way off base there, <laughs> okay? So no problem with that whatsoever, no intimidation to Bible College, for these guys got more little letters after their names than, than I could count, so, but anyway. Uh, so. I wanted to acknowledge them as well And uh, thank you so much for your giving If you want to give in person with check or cash Elaine over here in the front Just put your hand up She does have a basket Come and visit her And you can you can uh, do it that way uh, I'll be at the table in the front If you want to use electronics I'll be there to handle that today As our volunteers are away uh, Who usually handle that, okay? So uh, today we're continuing our series on the Psalms And these are... Um, As I've been saying, probably the most popular book in the Old Testament for people are the Psalms. And uh, the reason seems to be that we relate to what is being written down there. And we've taken a look at a few Psalms. Last week we did Psalm 16 and this, uh, this, this cry of David, which has a kind of a prophetic edge to it as well, talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, as Peter and, and Paul interpret the thing many years later. But we relate to the Psalms because we see these cries of the heart of the writer and sometimes doesn't even matter who the writer is and we say oh i relate to that i can feel what he's saying i know that what what that person is saying they really wrote that down because i feel the same thing and i've had the same experience and i can connect to it in the same way and the psalm that we're going to cover today uh, might well be the most famous of them all it's almost as famous as the lord's prayer it's Psalm 23. Do any of you know Psalm 23 by heart? Just, just if you do, just put your hand up. You know, I won't make you recite it, but I see a few hands there, right? It's almost like the Lord's Prayer. And we love this psalm. Uh, this psalm is frequently read at funerals. You'll see why in a, in a few moments. And we love this psalm. Uh, but oftentimes we go through it really fast. And we skip over it, we've got it, it's so beautiful, it's so beautifully worded, even when it's translated into English or whatever language, it, it has such beauty and such a rich depth to it. And and so we read it almost in a poetic fashion. And there's nothing wrong with uh, doing it that way but we miss some of the umph of it if we don't slow it down and start thinking about okay who wrote this psalm what are the circumstances of it what's this person trying to say and so on and when we do that it just jumps off the page and gives us much more uh, depth and meaning and application to our our lives um, so it, it, I put a slide on the screen there for you. It's working at home, too, as well. Okay, uh, if you really wanna to get to know Psalm 23, you can read Psalm 23, you know, 23 times. It's only six verses long. Uh, and that's okay, you can read it that way. But let me let me suggest to you a, a better way of reading Psalm 23. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17 in the Old Testament. It's the historical book, so you go over to the left, or if you have an electronic Bible, you can go and find it. And I would give you a piece of homework and read those two chapters with the thought of Psalm 23 in your mind because a lot of what's going on in Psalm 23 is David's personal reflection of his own experience and how he uses this as kind of an image for his personal walk with God. When you look at it that way, it just, wow, it just jumps right off the page uh, to us. So I'll just read the Psalm uh, quickly and then we're gonna go back and and skim over 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17, and just review it and you'll see, oh, okay, now I'm starting to see uh, where he's gone with this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want or be in want in some translations. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters he restores my soul such beauty in the words he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death this is why we read it at funerals often I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love or sometimes goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord Forever beautiful. We say, yes, God. Oh, wow. That's just so encouraging. And it lifts us up and we, you know, it, it it's beautiful. And in that way, you, yeah, you can leave it there. But I would, I would strongly recommend you go back and you say, well, hold on here. Who is David? Why did David write this? Do we know anything? You know, it's It's beautiful when we have the author identified in the text and here again, like Psalm 16, we know that the author is David. And so if we look at David's life and we survey his life just in the scripture, you don't have to be a shepherd to get what the meaning is of Psalm 23. And there's been some amazing work done on Psalm 23, some amazing commentaries and books and sermons. But you don't have to be an expert on shepherding. You just have to read the scripture. And often when you let scripture interpret itself, like we talked about last week, you see, wow, what a powerful, powerful metaphor he's drawing here. So if you go back to David's early life, we looked at David last week and we said, well, David's many things, right? If you remember, shout out some of the things that David, you know about David from from the Bible. Kill Goliath. Yeah. The giant <coughs> musician. Yeah. A dancer. a dancer. Yeah. He does talk about dancing for sure. Yes. A warrior. A warrior. Yes. Plenty of wives. <laughs> yeah. So a polygamist. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Anointed by Samuel as king. Good. Anything else? But hunted by Saul, yeah. The Bible college professors are being silent, yeah. Pardon me, after God's own heart, yes. And you used the word consecrated last week. Yes, yeah, so you know some things about David. You get that from the Bible. Well, you jump back to First Samuel chapter 16 and you start to get an appreciation right away for David's life. And you see here at the beginning of chapter 16, uh, Saul, the, the king, Is in the process of being deposed by God Uh, he has been disobedient uh, to God he he was a slick leader but there's character flaws he led in a carnal fashion he was self-centered and ultimately disobedient and God is in the process of deposing him and he explains to Samuel You know, Samuel, how long are you going to be upset about this? How long are you going to mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So go ahead and do what you're supposed to do. You're the prophet. You've got to go and anoint the next king. And Samuel's a little bit worried about this. And he says, Saul's going to pursue me. He's going to kill me. And God says, don't worry about it. Take a heifer, go to the family and say, we're going to offer sacrifices. You need to consecrate yourselves and I'll show you what to do. So Samuel does what the Lord says. He goes to Bethlehem and he... uh, Uh, they're they're wondering what he's doing there. They're afraid because he's Samuel the prophet. What's his business there? And he's he's come in peace. He says, we've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. You and your family, we're going to offer sacrifices. They say, okay. They arrive and Samuel uh, uh, starts to see the sons of Jesse paraded one by one in front of Samuel. He's got his anointing oil there. He's going to anoint the next king. So Jesse starts with the, his oldest, and he's you know kind of parading them one by one in front of the, the great prophet, and uh, it, it, he's not impressed. He's not impressed with the first and the second and so on. And, uh, he says, uh, uh, do, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. This is what the Lord says to Samuel. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So he hasn't found his man yet. Samuel and Jesse calls another son, puts him in front. And, and Samuel says, no, this isn't the person. The Lord has not chosen this one. And, you know, you get the, you get the picture. And then, and then it finishes. There's nobody left. And so Samuel says, is this all you've got? Are these all your sons? And uh, Jesse says, well, they're still the youngest. We don't know how young he is, presumably teenager, adolescent maybe at best. They're still the youngest, but what's he doing? He's tending the sheep. He's a a shepherd. It's his first first job in a way. So while David is a king, a warrior, prophet, poet, dancer, musician, and a shepherd, And this is what he reflects on when he writes, the Lord is my shepherd. So he is plucked out of his first job being a shepherd to be anointed the next king of Israel. So the youngest is there, he's tending the sheep and Samuel says, go and get him, and we will not sit down until he arrives. And so he sent to him and brought him in He's he's a good looking guy, ruddy, fine appearance, handsome, my version here says, and, and the Lord says, rise and anoint him, he is the one. And Samuel takes his horn of oil and anoints him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on the spirit of the Lord came on David, we're told in power, and the story continues. David enters into the service of still then King Saul. Although God, again, has essentially removed his his presence from Saul. We're actually told there that uh, the spirit of the Lord departs from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. That's a sermon for another day for sure. And uh, Saul, he... he um, he has a peculiar behavior, he needs to be calmed down by music. And he finds that David is the best at this. David comes and plays his instrument. Even though he's a brave warrior type guy, he can also play music. He comes in, he plays his instrument and he calms him down. And Saul really, really likes him. Uh, we're not sure how personally he actually gets to know David, but he is certainly calmed by David's playing. It would make him feel better, and we're told at the end of chapter 16, the evil spirit would leave him again. A sermon for another day, but the point is David is he's right there. He's right there in the king's service, right away, right after being anointed the next king of Israel by Samuel. Probably Saul is unaware uh, that David has been anointed by Samuel at the time. Then we see the chapter where we've got Goliath the Philistine. So the Philistines uh, chapter 17 verse 1 they gather their forces of war assembled at Socah in uh, in Judah and they pitched their uh, their tents and you know there's there's war here. Saul and Is- and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley. Of Elah just remember the valley of Elah remember the anointing and how David was anointed by Samuel how he was plucked from his first job being a shepherd and actually we're told that uh, uh, David would go back and forth he would go to Saul serve at Saul's kind of uh, courtyard if you will And then go back and tend the sheep he'd go back and forth back and forth it seems that David learned an awful lot about himself about God by tending sheep by being a shepherd he seemed to have for a young man he had a grasp on his fellowship with God his relationship with God Again, the character, the nature of God. Wow, a very firm grasp on his own personal sense of identity. He's got all this established even before he goes to slay the giant Goliath. It's going to take place in a valley. and They drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines, and you've got this freak of nature, Goliath. I love watching the Olympics because there you see the freaks of nature if you will, I say that respectfully. But you see some, you see some of the, the, what the human body is capable of with these folks who you watch in the Olympics. It's those speed walkers run faster than I walk faster than I run. And they can do it for 50 kilometers. They go, they walk twice as fast as I run. You've got a guy yesterday who won the marathon there, 42 kilometers, he looked like when he was finished running that marathon that he was ready to sit down and have coffee. It, it's unbelievable. They're, they're, they're the strangest uh, freaks of nature. This Goliath was a real freak of nature. The height, the size, the power, the strength. You read these descriptions, you're like, excuse me, this is intimidation with the capital i a true freak of nature and he is using it to his advantage and we're told that you know for 40 days he just taunts the armies of israel he taunts them and taunts them he insults their god and taunts them he says you none of you will come and, and fight me. And he's he's threatening, he's intimidating. You know, if he, if any one of your people is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects, but I will overcome him and kill him. And so he's just so intimidating. And they're intimidated for, you know, a month and a half basically by this giant in this valley. It is some scene. And then we're told about David, we're reiterated here about David, we're told who he is, we're told that he is the the little kid in the family, the youngest, and uh, David ends up coming into the camp, essentially to provide food for his brothers, to encourage them. Verse 17, Jesse said to his son David, take this effa of roasted grain, these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and carry uh, and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their units. See how your brothers are, bring them, bring them some assurance. He brings them food. It's interesting. Maybe important for the Psalm that we're going to take a look at in a, in a minute here. And they're with Saul, they're in the valley, they're fighting against the Philistines. Go, go, David, and do that. So David, early in the morning, he left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up, set out, did what his father said, reached the camp, saw the scene, looked at what's going on, starts asking questions. Starts hearing about what's going on. Um, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel, verse 25. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. So there's a reward, financial reward, if anybody can take out this freak of nature. So there's gonna be a financial reward. Um, uh, you're gonna get the, the daughter of the king in marriage. So you'll be the you'll exempt, exemption from paying taxes. <laughs> so lots of incentive. To, to kill this, this giant, David asks the question again, what's going to be done? Can you remind me of this, please? And they tell him, and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That's pretty graphic. Uh, basically, he's saying, this is, a, this is a pagan. This is not a God-fearing person. This person does not know Yahweh. This person, who is this? Why are you so intimidated by him? Uh, that he would defy the armies of the living God. So he says, uh, he's very confident that he's going to uh, slay this giant. His, His oldest brother is very insulting toward him. Why have you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert, you little shepherd boy? You come over here to laugh at us. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Go back and tend your sheep." Little did he know that David learned an awful lot about God while tending those sheep, his first job as a shepherd. David says, now what have I done? Can't I even speak? And he turns, uh, he, he turns away to someone else, brings up the matter. And he starts, he, he starts putting his plan all together. And, uh, he, you know, we know the story. Saul gives him his armor. He says, I, I, this, is too, this is not my armor, right? And David ends up with this Olympic victory, you know, slaying this, this giant. And they win the battle there in the valley. So you zip over to Psalm 23 and you have this kind of in your head as you're reading this David calls God his shepherd first verse really you don't need anything else in the whole psalm you just need that first verse the Lord and there he's using uh if you'll see it in your bible there Lord is all in capital letters that's what we call the tetragrammaton Uh, we sometimes pronounce it Yahweh or Jehovah in the Old Testament like 6,000 times. This is sort of the personal name of God. So he says, Yahweh is my shepherd. But you were a shepherd, David. You were tending sheep when the prophet anointed you. You kept on tending those sheep even when you were going back and forth to Saul's household and calming Saul down who would later try to hunt you down and kill you in a jealous rage. So, He says, God, you are my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Sheep are interesting animals, right? Even if you don't know anything about sheep and you just read the Bible, the image of sheep and the way sheep behave seems to be they're not the most brilliant of of creatures. We all like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah says and each one has gone his own way. Uh, they wander, they need to be uh, corralled, they need to be protected, and this is what David is saying. He's saying the Lord is my shepherd. It's a very, he, he's putting himself in a very humble place. He doesn't say the Lord is my warrior here, my king, my uh, uh, some powerful domin. he says the lord is my shepherd that means david implicitly is he calling himself a sheep well he's he's talking about he's reflecting on his experience as a shepherd how the sheep behave the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd he's saying the lord is he's my shepherd wow that's refreshing lot of leadership today, a lot of leaders today, they wouldn't say the Lord is their shepherd. They wouldn't say anyone is their shepherd. There's a lot of arrogance in leadership today. There's a lot of lack of accountability in leadership today. Wow, the Lord is my shepherd. That's pretty humble. The Lord is my shepherd and what does he do as a result? That's what you see in the rest of the Psalm. I shall not be in want or I shall not want. We talked about, sang about uh, the whole idea of being content in every circumstance. This is kind of the idea here. If the Lord, if God is his shepherd, then he's content. He has an attitude of contentment because he trusts in the care of the shepherd. You see the same thing uh, in the New Testament in different places. Philippians chapter four, which many of us know, verses 10 to 13, this is Paul talking to the church in Philippi, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. He's actually talking about practical concern and giving him sustenance, maybe money. Indeed you were concerned but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any in each and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or living in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength or I could do all this through him who gives me strength. He's content. Probably would agree with David. Why is he content? Because God is his shepherd. Because God will ultimately take care of him. Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, your body, what you'll wear. Is life more important than food, the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. He cares for them. Are you not worth uh, are you not worth much more? you not more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying at a single hour to his life? Contentment, because God is your shepherd, I shall not want. And he continues, and he says this, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he, he leads me beside quiet waters, verse two. And we've got this beautiful image here, you know, of these sheep, and they look really chill, really content in their nice, beautiful, North American, Canadian green pasture. If you look a little bit at, at do a little research on sheep just for interest, you can make them lie down in green pastures. You can, but they have to know that they're safe, and they have to know that they can eat. And if they know those two things, you can make them lie down in green pastures. The problem with the way that we look at this verse is we think that these are the green pastures. (laughs) And we think that that's somehow over there in the desert in the Middle East in David's day. That's not the green pastures that David is talking about. He's talking about, uh, well, a green pasture of sorts, but uh, not exactly the same. And uh, this is really, really fascinating. We're, we're doing a, a series on Wednesday nights uh, on video on Zoom called That the World May, May Know. A uh, really good Bible teacher by the name of Ray, Van, Ray Vanderlawn, And he's there in the, in the Middle East on location, you know, on site in the Holy Land, so to speak. And he teaches out of there. And we're doing a series on the desert. Walking with God in the desert. And you learn this kind of thing when you actually go there and you see what it really uh, is. It's not like these lush, beautiful, green North American, Canadian, especially Canadian. So the regions in Israel where shepherds live are predominantly wilderness areas. Got two seasons, a rainy season from November through to March uh, when even the desert becomes green. Like almost as a whole. So you've got this rainy season, you've got a dry season from April through October when the landscape is brown. So even during the rainy season the wilderness grasses remain short and the blades of grass grow in the shade of rocks where moisture is trapped. At first glance the green pastures of Israel look like a barren, rocky wasteland, but each day a few blades of grass grow and there is enough to nourish the flocks for another day. So sheep that graze in the wilderness receive enough nourishment for the moment, but no more. Day to day, the sheep depend on their shepherd to lead them in green pastures and, wa- and the water that they need. So there, in that context, you get just enough. You can see some of the green there. That would be kind of a green pasture. Just enough for today. That's what you get. And so the shepherd would lead the sheep and find those little blades of grass, which would be enough to sustain the flock for today. What did Jesus say? Give us this day our daily bread. Not give us enough bread for the whole year so that we don't have to trust you anymore. No, give us today our daily bread. God will give you enough for what you need for today is the implication. There's a dependency that happens when you think of it this way. So it's, it's not a walk in the in, the, in, in Disney World. It's you got to find that that little pasture. You've got to sustain yourself and you've got to depend on the shepherd to lead you there he leads me to green pastures and he takes me to still waters Uh, again psalm 23 and uh, verse 2 he restores my soul so on the left side there you have a wadi, that's a wadi zin in the uh, uh, desert of the Negev. We've seen this in our little study on Wednesday nights. And there you have quiet waters, okay? Then on the right, in the Judean wilderness, you also have quiet waters and some nice green pastures there as well. Uh, So if you're a sheep, you don't know the difference between those two kinds of quiet waters. One could kill you, the other one won't so on the left there a wadi is kind of a dried riverbed and so what happens there uh, all the, the what you see on the side the rocks there the the flood waters will come into the desert from the higher places that can't hold the water and so when you have the rainy season water's got nowhere to go and it'll make its way down into the the desert and it will actually cut into the rock and make these, these paths and these little valleys and you've got a wadi there and it will rush in like it's deadly. The, the deadliest thing in those deserts is water. When you have those floods that come in, they will come in briefly, they will come in with, with very, very little warning and they will wipe out anything that's low down there in that area where that riverbed is. And the wadi is a dried riverbed that's dry in the the dry season, but you will see some some water there that's left over from whenever the, the rains came and eventually came down and flooded the area. And sheep can drink from there, but they better be careful because when's the water gonna come? How are they gonna know? The shepherd. So the shepherd has to know what's going on in the area. On the other hand, on the right hand side there, that's a lot less risky. But a sheep doesn't know. (laughs) A sheep has to trust the shepherd to lead them beside quiet waters and to restore, and David says, not just his body, restores my soul. Wow, that's a beautiful image. So David clearly is reflecting on his own experience this is David did these things and now he's writing about these things in a in a, in a an image a, met, a metaphor for his relationship with God and ultimately our relationship with God uh, verse 3 he guides me in paths of righteousness for his names his namesake, this is again is another wadi in the Negev. This one's more narrow, and you could see like the water cut that hole in there. In the desert, the path in those kinds of deserts, there's paths all over the place, and they're hard to find. They're covered by all kinds of stones, but you can find them, but they're hard to find. And you've got to be, if you're a sheep, you've gotta be led by a shepherd who knows what he's doing he will he will guide me in paths of righteousness why will he do that for his name's sake so he is glorified he is worshiped he will guide me in paths of righteousness not of destruction not of ungodliness but of unrighteousness but those paths in the desert are hard to Find, you need a shepherd to guide you or you're gonna get lost fast. You get lost for too long, maybe a flood could come. Maybe you're in that season and you don't know as a sheep, you don't know and you could get lost, you could get in trouble really, really quickly if you're not careful. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So on the left, you see that same, that same wadi, which is almost like a little valley, and you can see a little shadow there too. Could David be thinking of that? The shadow of death when those floodwaters come crashing in there could, could destroy. Or is he thinking of the Valley of Elah, where he and the Israelites defeated Goliath in the valley. The valley can be a deadly, deadly place. The thing that we often don't realize in the psalm here, who led him into the valley of the shadow of death anyway? Well, God did. God led him into that valley. Say what? I don't want God leading me into that valley. Well, he guides me in paths of righteousness is is the previous verse. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death is the next verse. What did God stop leading him? No, the implication is God has led him into the valley of the shadow of death. A valley that all of us walk through in one way or another at some point. Maybe it's with a loved one. Maybe it's ourselves. But at one point or another, this is why we relate to this verse. This is why this is read in funerals. Because we we look at that and we say, oh, I relate to this pain. The valley of the shadow of death. But God led him there. God may lead you there. But he will lead you through there. I will fear no evil. I'm not afraid of this giant in this valley. Not afraid of him. Actually, I have the upper hand here because God has the upper hand. And nobody in this whole valley knows it except me. I learned that being a shepherd. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, this you have to know a little bit about a shepherd. They, they have this rod and they have this staff. The rod seems to be, if you, if you listen to the people who commentate on this passage, uh, it seems to be a shorter kind of a weapon to fend off predators. So the rod would be like a protection tool and the staff would be like a direction tool. So with the staff, they direct the flock, but with the rod, they protect the flock. Now, it's curious because when you look at David and uh, in this battle with Goliath, uh, he talks a little bit about this and uh, it, it, from his own experience. So uh, chapter, 30, uh, chapter 17, verse 34 of 1 Samuel, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep, he says to Saul. So he says, I've got experience It's my first job. I'm a shepherd, you see, and I've been learning some things out in the desert. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, woo! a lion or a bear. If I was a shepherd, I'd say, you go and take the sheep. You can have them. I've got a whole bunch of other ones. you, You can have the sheep, no problem. No, he says a lion or a bear came. I went after it. Remember Jesus and the leaves the 99 to go and get the one sheep, right? So he said, I came after that. Wow, this is some shepherd. I mean, he loves the flock. He even loves that sheep that was wandering off that the lion said, ah, there's a loner. I'm going to pick him off. The bear said, I'm going to pick him off. And David said, I went after him. I went after it. I struck it with what? Maybe a rod. And rescued the sheep from its mouth my goodness what a scene Uh, and when it turned on me I seized it by its hair struck it with what probably the rod and killed it your servant has killed both the lion and the bear true this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of a living God, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. For David, it's case closed. He's got the gold medal. He will defeat the giant. He's extremely confident. Why? Because he learned being a shepherd, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm not scared. Yes. Camera has died. Okay. You go with the slides only. And my apologies to those of you watching online, but you know what I look like anyway, and I'm not as good looking as David, so just look at the slides, okay? So um, uh, your, the, the protection of God, wow, it's, it's, it's so evident to, to David in his life. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And uh, verse 5 of Psalm 23, uh, just zipping back there, uh, what does he say? You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Hmm. So remember when David was told by Jesse, go and get some food, bring it for your brothers. He's preparing a table. Let's eat. Got to look after them. They're in the battle. They're in the battle against the Philistines. David, go and get, bring this food, bring some cheese for the commander of the unit. What's he doing in a sense preparing a table for his brothers the commander of the unit what in the presence of his enemies is this what david has in mind when he puts pen to paper here you prepare for me a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil you got a table you've got oil my cup overflows table oil cup remember when samuel anointed david Uh, back then when you anointed somebody especially to be king it wasn't just you know put a little drop of olive oil on them (laughs) they poured this thing of oil on this future king is a very very significant event it would it would go all over them they'd be covered in oil these are anointing the next king you You anoint my head with oil. Is he reflecting on when Samuel anointed him and what that was like? My cup overflows. It overflows. So table, oil, cup, talking about assurance, the assurance of God when you're under pressure. Yes, but probably he's talking more about a celebration. And he was very confident that he was going to defeat Goliath. And so he's, he may be turning this image and saying, this is more than just God is with me. This is God is going to win. And God is going to be victorious. And he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemy because there's going to be victory. I'm confident in God's ultimate victory in this circumstance, in this situation. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. People often say, God in the Old Testament, he's so angry, he's so violent, he's so judgmental, He's so condemning. We just like Jesus in the New Testament. For God so loved the world that he gave his only... We like that. God is love. Yes, we like that. But we, this God of the Old Testament, we don't like him. <laughs> Let's just read the New Testament. My word, you look at Psalm 23. Wow, what a loving God you have there. What a shepherd a shepherd who will fight off the attackers a shepherd who will guide you who will lead you in paths of righteousness a shepherd who will give his life for you what a what an image of a loving god goodness mercy in some translations love will follow me all the days of my life it's, it's not necessarily saying, you know, behind me are goodness and mercy and love. What he's talking about is his, his deep, deep fellowship and communion and relationship with God. It's, it doesn't come and go. It's an unbroken relationship that he has with God. It's perpetual. He says, all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It was David who wanted to build the first temple. Didn't get to build it. His his son Solomon eventually built it. What's he thinking of here? The house of the Lord forever? Is he thinking about the tabernacle? Is he thinking about the temple? Probably more. He's thinking about his walk with God and that he will be with God and God will be with him. And he'll never, ever, Ever let him go, as we sung. He'll be his protector. No darkness, no evil will ever torment him. He will be his protector. He's talking about his fellowship, his communion, his relationship with God is unbroken. Tragedy would come into David's life through his, his uh, the adultery and murder, and we'll look at the psalm where he describes his repentance uh, later on in this series. But my goodness, did he ever learn about God in the wilderness? Did he ever learn about God in his first job as a teenager, adolescent maybe? He learned so much about God and so much to encourage us. Uh, And we'll finish with this. And Simon, you can come on up and get ready to play something at the end. You did such a beautiful job. What does Jesus do when he comes on the scene? Well, David says, the Lord is my shepherd, and Jesus goes even further. And you read all of this in in John chapter 10. Uh, He he gives an image again of a shepherd. I tell you the truth, a man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. He's going to try and steal some of the flock. The man who enters by the gate, he's the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out What he has brought them Uh, when when he was brought out on, on their own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And John commentating here, he says, Jesus used this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. Curious. And Jesus says again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. And all whoever come, came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. That's quite a statement. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. People who were hearing this in Jesus' day, they would have probably thought of Psalm 23. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? Lays down his life for the sheep. Wow, that is a powerful image of the love of God and Jesus talking about what he will do on the cross. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, He abandons the sheep, and he runs away. And then the wolf comes, attacks the flock, and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. That's what God has done for us. That's what God did for David. That's what God has done for us in Christ. My question to you is, do you know God as your shepherd? Can you say with David, the Lord is my shepherd? Even if you can only say the first verse of the psalm, I shall not want. I'm content in life. I don't have a lot of money. I'm not that good looking, (laughs) but I'm content in life. Because God is my shepherd. If you can come to that conviction, and that's the only part of Psalm 23 that you can believe, that's enough. If God is your shepherd, and you can be content in him, the rest will eventually fall into place. Can I have a word of prayer with you before we go this morning? Father, I thank you today for how you reveal yourself in your word to us. We thank you, we have this this reflection of David. We thank you, we have the, the powerful story of how he was called, anointed, won the battle. But God, I pray that thousands of years later, Lord, we would realize you make the same offer to us today to be our shepherd it's been sealed and done in the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead i wonder if there are any of you who are here today and you say you know i know about god in an intellectual way in a in a he's in my head but i don't have this sense of of relationship and fellowship and care the way that David did. God, I pray on on that person's behalf. Uh, Reveal yourself to me afresh. Come into my life afresh. I surrender myself to you. God, I want to know you above all other things. I want to prioritize you first in my life that whatever would come I would be assured of your leadership in my life Jesus I thank you that you have died for me on the cross you laid down your life as a substitute for me so that I could walk with God and I accept God what you have done for me and I turn from my own self and surrender to you today help me to walk with you in the desert help me Lord to uh, see you and to understand you as my shepherd and not just my God we pray together to that end and everyone said amen amen well God bless you today I'll just let Simon do whatever he wants to do and I'll be over at the front just visiting. If you want to use the electronics, I can handle that for you as well. Don't rush out, okay? Please feel free to visit with one another. You can do so with your masks on. It's not an issue. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. Don't forget to get your kids over at number 11 if they are there. God bless you, everyone. I come out of a green.